I'm Haley B. Miller, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the Don't Fasten Your Seatbelts edition. This week, we're talking about a new idea for the death penalty, how Ohio wants to make school buses safer, why liberal groups are funding redistricting reform, and what's holding up rail safety a year after the East Palestine derailment. Joining me today is Jesse Balmert. Hello. Thanks for having me. Our first topic today is the death penalty and how some Republicans want Ohio to be like Alabama. Two Republican lawmakers, along with Attorney General Dave Yost, want to allow the state to execute death row inmates with nitrogen gas. This basically suffocates a person to death. Alabama just executed someone using this method, and I guess they called it a success, but witnesses could see the person convulsing for several minutes before he died. Ohio still has the death penalty, but also kind of doesn't. Jesse, remind us where we're at. Yeah, so Ohio has a law for the death penalty, and it requires lethal injection. But currently, the drugs that Ohio needs to perform a lethal injection, they don't have them. And the companies that would sell them say that if Ohio were to purchase them, they would cut them off from other drugs that the state uses for things like Medicaid or, you know, just their regular operations. And so Governor Mike DeWine has said that he's not willing to risk losing access to all of these pharmaceuticals. And so he's not seeking the lethal injection drugs in Ohio. Now that's led Republican lawmakers and Attorney General Dave Yost, as you said, to say, okay, let's try a different method. And Alabama is the only state so far that's tried nitrogen gas, right? Yeah, this was kind of the first in the nation and perhaps first in the world uh, effort to use nitrogen gas. It essentially replaces the oxygen and the person suffocates or asphyxiates. And so, yeah, these individuals are saying that this is a method that would be accessible. Nitrogen is not as hard to obtain as some of the lethal injection drugs And they say it worked in Alabama. So was Alabama kind of the onus for this? I mean, it seems like this legislation came out of nowhere in some sense because this conversation really hasn't been lively in Ohio lately. Yeah. So the representatives who are introducing the bill or at least leading the bill, they have 13 co-sponsors are Brian Stewart and Phil Plummer. And they said that this is something that they had been working on. So perhaps the Alabama case was a kind of the impetus for it. We've also had conversations recently with the governor who has said that this isn't really a top priority of his, either ending the death penalty or reinstating the death penalty in a more meaningful way. And so I think there was a little bit of a rub there that if Ohio is going to have a death penalty. Uh, I mean, Dave Yost basically said the status quo is not acceptable, that they need to either have it or get rid of it entirely. And there are some lawmakers who want to do that. And I think that effort's bipartisan. Correct. Uh, there's been a number of Democratic lawmakers who've been pushing for this for really years, perhaps even decades. But more and more Republicans are signing on to this, in particular concerned about the cost associated with the number of appeals that are required for the death penalty, but also looking at from a faith perspective that this is a a life. And that's something that, for example, Representative Jean Schmidt referenced her pro-life beliefs as her reason for opposing the death penalty. And 
Didn't that come up in the press conference? Because I think some people look at Republicans like Rep. Brian Stewart, who's co-sponsoring this measure, and say, okay, you oppose abortion, you say you're pro-life, why are you pushing a death penalty bill? Yeah, so Stewart addressed that expressly. He said that he sees a difference between an unborn life, per se, in the case of an abortion and someone who had been a killer. A lot of the people on death row are there for pretty egregious, like very violent crimes. And so he, he draws a distinction between those two lives. Well, I, for one, will be curious to see how this plays out. I also think it's worth reminding folks that the Attorney General Yost is thinking about running for governor in 2026. So we will probably be hearing about this more often from him. Yeah, it seems like we're in 2024, which is the presidential election year and U.S. Senate year. So are we really ready to talk 2026? But the governor's race is already alive and well. All right, next up, let's talk about school bus safety. Governor Mike DeWine formed a working group to look at this after an 11-year-old died in a crash in Springfield. They shared their conclusions this week and notably do not want to require seatbelts on school buses. Instead, the state would offer money to schools for upgrading buses with seatbelts, putting in illuminated signs, safety features like that. I'm not an expert, but aren't seatbelts an obvious solution here? I think that was where the debate centered from the beginning. It was really what we were waiting to hear, whether this is something they were going to mandate or not. There's actually very few states right now that do mandate seatbelts. And I think everyone says, you know, buckle up. And that is like definitely the safety message. I think when the commission was looking at it, there were two factors. One is there is an a decent cost, about $19,000 per school bus to upgrade the buses to include safety belts. And then the other factor is if there is an accident, are you having to like cut kids out of safety belts? Like how easy is it to get people off the bus in an emergency? And so I think uh, the leader of this commission, Andy Wilson, was saying he went into it thinking they would likely come to the conclusion to mandate safety belts on school buses. But after listening to the people who had testified or expressed their position on it, he came to the conclusion that, you know, maybe that's not the best path forward. Hmm. Interesting. So what's the plan from here? I mean, is this legislation, administrative action? How are these safety features going to get put in place? Yeah, it's a combination of all of those things. Uh, Anything involving money will need approval from the state legislature. And so the governor has proposed a fund to basically upgrade school buses with safety features, like you mentioned. They've also proposed a fund to uh, increase and improve training for school bus drivers. A number of school bus drivers were interested in kind of more advanced training or like situational where they might prepare for something like really reckless or you know, they might not run into in a in their regular um, course of their job. And so th- that will both require money. And if the legislature is kind of behind that, um, it is about safety for children. And so you would think that could be an easy sell, but you would think for sure. <laughs> but some other things like Ohio Department of Transportation is already working on inspecting school zones to see where are some areas that might be less safe or where do they need to put in like a rumble strip or something like that. Our third topic for today is redistricting reform and who's funding the campaign to get it on the ballot. 
A quick reminder, advocates are pushing a proposed amendment that would create an independent map-making commission with no elected officials involved. This comes after the new redistricting process, which was also approved by voters back in the day, failed epically. Citizens Not Politicians has raised about $3 million so far, but for a bipartisan effort, the donors are not so bipartisan. Yeah, they had to report their money, and uh, a lot of it is coming from more liberal left-leaning groups. You have organizations like the 1613 Fund, which backed Ohio's uh, abortion amendment and also opposed uh, efforts to increase the threshold needed to amend the state constitution. There's a group called Article 4, which is working on ranked choice voting issues in like Missouri and Alaska, for example. And then you have like the Ohio progressive uh, groups from here. And so on one side, it makes sense if you're trying to kind of balance this out. If you think Republicans have too much control over the redistricting process right now in Ohio in a state that leans red or is red, the people who are going to be most interested in balancing that out are going to be the Democrats and going to be the left groups. What do Republicans have to say about this? Oh, they're not a huge fan, I would (laughs) say. Uh, Yeah. So Senate President Matt Huffman says that this is just more evidence that this group isn't bipartisan, isn't representing a large swath of what Ohioans want in their redistricting process. It really is a departure from what we saw in 2015 and 2018 on the previous measures, which were endorsed by both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. They came out of the legislature where they had Republicans and Democrats vote for them. I think this is really a compromise legislation, and we saw some of the cracks and and problems with that uh, as we were going through 2022 in particular. And the 1630 folks were pretty involved in the abortion amendment in November, weren't they? They were. So I think that's another concern for Republicans that, you know, is this a group that is pushing a particular perspective? It's also just a very well-known liberal dark money group. They were involved in the presidential race. They were involved in just other uh, kind of pro-left causes throughout the nation. Right. And because of that, Senate Republicans have introduced a bill that would basically curb the ability of these groups to contribute to campaigns like this in Ohio. It'll be interesting, I think, to see if that legislation goes anywhere, because obviously dark money is a big thing in politics and a lot of people think it's a big problem. But the motivation for them introducing this was telling, I think. Yeah, it was certainly a backlash against the abortion measure, which passed in in November. And this particular piece of legislation would ban uh, people who are not U.S. citizens from donating to affect Ohio elections. And uh, that's kind of aimed at this particular group has had some donations from a, a Swiss billionaire, which the Associated Press has reported on. And so... Um, I asked the Senate president about just transparency and dark money in general, if we should have more of that, report more information. And he said he was interested in that, but felt, you know, there's some limitations from the federal government. But it's worth noting, really nothing on that has happened since uh, the former Speaker Larry Householder was arrested and convicted in this really large dark money scheme. Our last topic for today is East Palestine. 
Saturday marks one year since the Norfolk Southern train derailed and uprooted residents' lives. People are still struggling with health issues and don't know if they want to keep living there. Another big wrinkle, Norfolk Southern is cutting off relocation aid on February 9th. So residents have some big decisions to make pretty quick here. Meanwhile, Congress is still sitting on legislation to improve rail safety. Ohio Senators Sherrod Brown and J.D. Vance proposed this last year, and Vance has gotten some Republicans on board, but others are still wary, and the railroads really don't like one part of it that would require at least two crew members per train. I talked to a union leader who's worried the window for action on this is closing. What's your assessment? I think that's always a concern that people raise whenever there's a tragedy. We talked about, you know, the school bus recommendations earlier in our discussion. It was, you know, several months after the 11-year-old died. This is now one year after East Palestine um, and obviously, you know, affects the people who live there daily. But is this something that's drawing the attention of the nation? I think there's at least a little evidence that there is with uh, President Joe Biden going to be visiting there uh, within the month. And so... We'll see if that kind of moves this any any forward. I'm very curious to see how the Biden visit goes because residents of East Palestine have been wanting a presidential visit, wanting that recognition for really the entire past year. And he kept saying he was going to go when the time was right, but never did. Now he's running for re-election. So I suppose a cynic could look at that and wonder, but... Former President Trump really went after Biden and the Biden administration last year over this. So I'm not sure the president is going to get the warmest welcome in the world. Yeah, I think all the time that passed, I think that is definitely going to be a challenge. The other thing that I thought was interesting or maybe even surprising from the reporting that you worked on was that Ohio leads the nation in train derailments. We had like 59. So I don't know if that's we just have a lot of track in the state, but not something I knew. Yeah, that was a really stark number. And the New York Times had some reporting this week, too, that said derailments have not decreased and have actually increased in this past year while we've been waiting to see if this rail legislation is going to pass. So I talked to Brown about this at some point, and he said, you know, he he's worked on issues before that have taken a while to get across the finish line. It took him like six years to pass some pension legislation. So I don't think he and Vance are giving up on this per se, but it is going to get tougher and tougher, I think, to make this sell to Congress. Yeah, I will say it is a bipartisan effort, and that certainly always helps. It's something that both Vance and Brown have been on top of really from the beginning and working on legislation that was introduced pretty quickly. So uh, that doesn't hurt. And one more thing before you go. If you're a convicted felon, I've got good news. You can run for the Ohio House. The state Supreme Court ruled this week that a former lawmaker who got dinged for felony theft can appear on the ballot again. The state does prohibit this in certain cases, but the court decided being a House rep doesn't count. Yeah, the the wording that he was looking at in at in this particular law was whether this individual, Stephen Krause, a former state representative who would like to go back to the House, would have like control over state property or 
agency or anything like that. And they basically concluded that as one member of a 99 person chamber, you didn't have exclusive authority over that. Now, how will this affect other former representatives who have been booted from the legislature for felony convictions? That's harder to say. And, you know, whether a felony conviction for something like racketeering is going to, you know, be a problem. Yeah. Larry Householder is probably not going back to office. He has a 20-year sentence, so that will take some time. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can check us out on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Ohio Explained. 